Welcome to the Kerrville Bible Church Podcast, where we seek to encourage and equip you for the work of ministry by taking a pastoral look at a variety of biblical and theological topics. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to learn how you can submit a question for us to answer on the podcast. Welcome back to the Kerrville Bible Church Pastors Podcast. My name is Toby Baxley. I'm your host, uh, joined today by Scott Christensen, Chris McKnight, and uh, Murray is out uh, today. He's leading a uh, little uh, mission, a big mission trip with just a few people um, to Sierra Leone. So we're uh, we prayed them off this morning, uh, Wednesday the nineteenth was when we're recording this. So. Um, uh, anyway, we'll miss him, uh, but we're we're going to talk about um, uh, an issue that we brought up several months ago, maybe even years ago at this point. But it's always good to revisit this, and it's the issue of uh, assurance of salvation. Uh, I, I, as I was thinking about this, there, I think. I think this is true. There are probably about three different kinds of people that you find. You've got people who who think they're saved, but they're not. You've got people who are saved, but don't don't have assurance. And then you've got those who are saved and are assured. So um, uh, if, if I'm missing somebody, uh, I'm sure you'll let me know that. Um, but I was just thinking about uh, 1 John 5, at the end of uh, this uh, letter, uh, verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So uh, what I want to talk about today, this is a, actually an uh, issue that, or this is a topic that Scott brought up, is how do you know that you're saved? How do you know if you're saved? Is that even the right question to ask? Scott, take it away. <laughs> How do you know if you're saved? By being saved. <clears throat> I mean, it's a transformation of your heart. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Uh, you've repented and put your faith in Christ. Um, your, your, your heart is transformed. You're, you have a new mind. You've had a heart transplant. <clears throat> You start loving things you used to could care less about or hated, and you start hating things that you used to love. Your appetites change, your desires change. So, you know, I think the way you know you're saved is to be saved, is to repent and believe in Christ and uh, give Him your life, give Him everything. And uh, it's got to start there. I mean, there's no assurance of salvation without salvation. Let's just you know state the obvious. And so, and we were talking about this earlier. I think so many people are not saved, and they're clamoring after assurance when they need to be coming to Christ. They actually need to repent and believe, and and assurance will probably take care of itself. But instead, <clears throat> they're false professors. Uh, it's called, and so they're constantly clamoring after assurance. Uh, they're constantly responding to altar calls and rededicating their lives, and oftentimes will be baptized over and over and over, uh, where this assurance is lacking. And so, from my vantage point, from my background, my context, a lot of people—not everyone, of course—you can't ever be say across the board—but a lot of people that lack assurance actually lack salvation, 
and and so they need to actually go to the you know the headwaters of the issue. <laughs> uh, we were talking about that in you know revivalistic settings and and churches that would have a yearly revival and you know the same people it tends to be come down front rededicate their lives mm-hmm. and it just bears examination as to what's really going on there. Um, so that would be a, that'd be a starting point for me, and then we can we can talk about the the planks, the three planks, and we can talk about the objective and the subjective, and what your heart says about yourself, and what other people might say about you. You know, there's all mm-hmm. all many variables to how how you know you're saved. We're, talk about the three. Can, maybe the three sure. planks would be a good. Well, well, to, well actually, brief. I want to back up because you okay. said something that I think indicates a fourth category. All right. Um, <clears throat> You know, so you have a true believer that has assurance. That's where we all want to be, right? Then you have a true believer that lacks assurance. So you have that category. Then you would have a false believer that has assurance of salvation, but they really don't have any objective evidence of that. But then you could have a false believer who doesn't have assurance. They think they're a Christian, but they're not assured that they're a Christian, right? Yeah. You know, so, you, and that was a category I think you kind of indicated. Right. So, you really have these four categories, right? Right. And um, so, so to clear that that little question out of the way, then then you know the Puritans saw that there were three planks to our assurance, and the first plank is the promises of God concerning our salvation. That those are clearly the objective. Uh, aspects to it. And, and you could include within that not only the promises of God, but the power that God supplies us in order to fulfill his promises. Because um, that, that includes, you know, aspects of our sanctification and ultimate glorification. Uh, that, that the Bible gives us assurance that God is going to accomplish things in our lives, you know, to bring us um, to, to, to our glorified state. Okay. So that'd be the objective side. Then you have somewhat of, of the objective, but a little bit subjectiveness, you know, in terms of tangible evidences within the life of the believer right. uh, that he has saved, you know, in terms of fruit of the Spirit and things like that. Right. And then you have a third plank, which is um, the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit that takes the truths concerning God's promises to us and concerning the evidence of our own life and applies them to our hearts in such a way that he gives us that that direct assurance that we often need when we're struggling and doubting. Romans 8, right? The mm-hmm. Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit yes. that we are mm-hmm. children of God and if and heirs of Christ and, and so forth. So, right, that's yeah. the... We'll talk about that some Sunday. That comes up in the passage in Acts when Peter says uh, speaks of the promise and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's that gift of the Spirit that comes and he applies redemption to us, and, and that includes... What, what you're describing. So that's good. So the three planks of uh, that build a whole foundation. So, you know, I think as we enter into the topic, we need to remember it's not any one thing. How do I know I'm saved? There's not any one answer to that. There's a lot mm-hmm. of ways to answer that that are all true and biblical. <clears throat> and this is one of those subjects that call on us to be balanced Christians, to be whole Bible Christians, uh, Genesis to Revelation, to not just, um, you know, have a hobby horse of one passage 
<clears throat> and we just camp on this as if this is all God had to say mm-hmm. about assurance. Mm-hmm. You know, there are Christians that do that. You know, they'll pick a promise like in John 5, you know, if he who believes my word and uh, believes the Father has sent me has passed out of life into death, you know, and we just, it's a great promise and it's, a, it's one that we cling to, but, you know, that becomes the everything of my, my assurance <clears throat> to the to the exclusion of James, the whole book of James mm-hmm. and the exclusion mm-hmm. of the whole book of First John, for example. Yeah. You know, so we need to be whole Bible, whole Christians, and be balanced in, in how we evaluate this. You bring up a good point in that, uh, and, a, and a question really is, like, where does false assurance come from? Um, is, it, is it based on some sort of, you know, we know that, the easy answer is un- unbelief, but uh, or a- actually un- being unconverted. But what what could somebody base assurance on if they're not actually a believer? Yeah, false teaching, false gospel, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they're so, they're resting on the wrong thing for their salvation. Yeah, wrong, yeah. wrong message, wrong promises. Um, you know, kind of a cheap grace truncated gospel that doesn't call people to submit to Christ as Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I prayed the prayer. I, well, I did I did what my church, my tradition told me to do, but it really wasn't what the Bible told you to do. <laughs> you know, I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I did all the stuff, but, you know, but the Bible actually says repent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Bible says receive Christ to as many who received Him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, and so you know I think it's it's beginning to to evaluate your experience in light of the Bible, and to evaluate whatever tradition you were brought up in in light of the Bible, and mm-hmm. and so I think I, I mean a lot of blame here is on pastors and teachers and evangelists of of a false or uh, maybe not heretical but an incomplete gospel. Mm-hmm. That people have put their mm-hmm. faith in, mm-hmm. um, and so the the preacher here shares some of the responsibility, has some blood on his hands if he hasn't preached the whole counsel of God, called people to the whole Christ. You know, um, this is why we're just so passionate about you know the full gospel, if you will, not full gospel charismatic branch, mm-hmm. but full gospel of uh, repent and believe. Mm-hmm. Lord and Savior, uh, you know, God and man, <laughs> death and resurrection. You know, I mean, it's, it's all this that mm-hmm. makes up the message. Yeah. And, and the gospel doesn't just begin and end with conversion. You know, that's, that's an important part of this, too, because the work of salvation, the work of God's redemption is from conversion all the way through our glorification. That's right. And and so it encompasses the whole life of the believer. And if that's not part of our understanding of the implications of conversion and of regeneration, then then we can have a distorted view as well. Right. So that that salvation just really means justification Mm -hmm. in a lot of church circles when people say, you got to get saved. Are you saved? It's like... All they think about is the justification mm-hmm. aspect, and it goes no mm-hmm. further. Yeah. And then some people even have, you know, this is very common in Arminian circles, where you have maybe a good view of justification, 
but then, you know, and God's work of grace in justifying sinners, but then all of a sudden God's grace suddenly stops, and now it's up to you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and live your Christian life apart from the power of God, or, or tapping into the power of God is just totally up to you, you know, your own free will, as opposed to the promise that God, who began that good work in us, is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's part of the promise mm-hmm. that He has that He has made, yeah. and that the you know it is the power of God through our faith, as Peter tells us in First First Peter, that right. that is going to bring us to that final salvation That's when right. we see. Yeah. Uh, Christ face to face. So, mm-hmm. so then that leads in, in the Arminian view. That leads to the belief that one can lose their salvation because it depends on you. Mm-hmm. And wow, that kind of person really is going to struggle with assurance because they're always thinking this is going to depend on me, you know, to do the right thing or to follow the right, right steps, you know, or right. I'm going to lose my salvation one day. I might have it, the next day I might not. Right. Right, and I think that raises the point. There is a subtle distinction between assurance of salvation and eternal security. So we need to be adamant and crystal clear for our listeners that we 100% believe in eternal security of every true Christian. Right, everyone born again will not. No one will be lost. Jesus will keep them all to the end, and God will complete the work, and that's eternal security. No one can be lost. We cannot lose our salvation. But assurance of salvation is something a little different. Uh, it's it's more subjective and it's more individual, case by case, mm-hmm. so that true believers can live out their Christian life without a full assurance, which I think is tragic pastorally. Yeah. You know, I think as a brother in Christ to such a person, I just think that's just tragic because I really believe that it's a birthright for every believer, uh, and that in God's general. Revelation, providence, he would want every believer to have assurance of salvation. It's, it's not, the experience, right? I mean, is that the experiential yeah. part of salvation? Right. You know, there, there is security of the believer, and then there's the, the assurance of, of the believer, and the security is, is completely objective. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then secure, or the feeling, you've got the facts of salvation, and then you've got kind of the feeling, for lack of a better term, the experience right. of right. salvation. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's... That's where a lot of us look, uh, a lot of uh, people who maybe lack assurance are looking uh, at that experience of salvation to, uh, to judge the facts of it. You know, well, maybe I'm not saved. I'm not, I don't feel saved, you know, so maybe I'm not. And I think, you know, we talked maybe earlier about it usually has to do with sin, yeah. right? It has to do with performance, even um, have I read my Bible today? And if I haven't, well, I wonder if maybe I'm not I'm not saved if I didn't read my Bible today. Yeah. Um, I'd be more concerned if do you have a desire to? Because you can read your Bible without having a desire to. Yeah. And you cannot have opportunity to read a Bible but have the desire. You know. <laughs> yeah. I think we need to get past the outward behavior to what's. What's the desire of my heart? But I think we also need to say, as and we are all have been in Christ for a number of years, decades, I guess, for all of us here at the table, I think we also need to say that true believers can have times and moments where we do not feel spiritual. We do not mm-hmm. feel saved. And I have those moments 
But that is different than assurance of salvation. I cannot feel anything, but I'm still assured of my salvation. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's why this is such a nuanced and complex topic. Right. Because you can you can be battling spiritual apathy, right. you know, which pastors battle spiritual apathy as well. That's right. you know? Y'all do? And, and uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. you know, and still have assurance of your salvation, right. even though you are, you know, in danger of of walking away from right. the path that, that you've right. been called to. Or a dry spell, or mm-hmm. spiritual yeah. depression, or uh, you're sick. Or you're you're exhausted, or you need a vacation, you know, I mean, or you're battling some great variables. trial and tribulation, you know, that's causing you to really wrestle with your faith. Right? Mm-hmm. So many variables. So you referred to it. I want to go to a passage uh, that I think speaks to so many of the things we're talking about. It's Philippians one. Scott's referred to it, and God will complete the good work that He began. But I love, you know, it's once again. Let's find this verse in its context. You know, uh, we we probably have all memorized. Philippians 1 6. It's a great verse, but let's look at it in context. Verse 3, this is the beginning of this letter. Paul's writing to Christians in Philippi. He loves this church. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So they got there, Lydia was converted, they preached, people were saved instantly, immediately, and this church was birthed, and they were participating in the gospel. That's a great line to, to describe repentance and faith and joining the church and being baptized and, and, and becoming, becoming a believer. He said it was from the first day. Verse 6 begins with the word for. Verse 6 is coming out of verse 5. The fact that they've participated in the gospel Paul then says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Why? Because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Mm. Paul the apostle says, you Philippian Christians, you're going, to, you're going to persevere to the end. God's going to complete the work. Why do I feel that way? Because you're partaking of grace. Because I've seen evidence that you're participating in the gospel. For God is my witness. I long for you all. I pray for your love to abound. So he's already seen love in them. He's already seen uh, righteousness, verse 11, uh, so forth. So in other words... It's not in a vacuum. This idea of assurance, and even this great verse of verse 6, doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is connected mm-hmm. to participation, to outward evidence. And Paul's saying, because I, I love you, you love me, we're in the gospel together, you're supporting me in this, I'm able to say, now I'm confident you're going to make it to the end. Mm-hmm. Can't you guys relate mm-hmm. to that pastorally mm-hmm. as you've yeah. known Christians in your churches and you just like, wow, mm-hmm. I've got great assurance of your salvation <laughs> because of the objective evidence that I've seen in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it reminded me of a parallel passage in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, where, where Paul makes his prayer. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. 
Now, what's also interesting is that in the context of that passage, you just go a few verses either earlier, mm-hmm. verse 21, he says, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a call to live a life of righteousness, of abstaining from evil, and yet at the same time, he's then praying that God will sanctify them entirely and 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 um, you know preserve them complete. You know at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's faithful to do it. He has the power to do it, and he promises to do it. And uh, and yet we will see the evidence of it in our own faith and obedience. And God began this work. We didn't begin it. So yeah. I think we're talking about how to have, how do I know, or how do I have assurances? It's going back to what is salvation? How does conversion happen? And God, God did a work on me and in me that I didn't. It's not self-generated, and there, and it's not self-sustained. Therefore, I can rest in the power and promises of God, mm-hmm. and not my performance to get to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I guess this is where our gospel, our theology is so critical, you know, our mm-hmm. theology that gives God the glory and the credit for salvation. Mm-hmm. He chose me. He called me. Christ redeemed me. The Spirit convicted. It was the work of God. And, um, and He enabled me to believe and repent. And He empowered me to begin to change my life, you know, all those things. And until then, you didn't want it, right? I mean, right. you didn't want God, you didn't want, you didn't care about salvation. Um, it was con- it's conversion that creates that desire, right? It's it's conversion that creates that that longing for for God. Um, it's yeah, because not, because it's not the, the other way around. Because the one of the evidences of conversion is the changed affections. Mm-hmm. You know, all of your disordered affections have begun to to be radically transformed into properly ordered affections in terms of love for God, love for His Word, love for His people, you know, love for righteousness, and and, and so forth. And, and so, if those godly affections, those loves, if you will, have not been, uh, do not mark your life, you know, to some degree or another. And yes, we know that that each person progresses and, and grows in the Christian faith at a different rate than others. Mm. But, but do you have those evidences? You know, a lot of people lack assurance because they know they're battling with apathy or they're battling a particular sin. Right. But ironically, sometimes that can be a, a sign of assurance because mm, yeah. mm. the Christian life is a battle with sin. If, you, if you're apathetic exactly. about your own sin... Or apathetic about your own apathy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, then those those may not be good signs, right? Do yeah. do 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 non Christians even talk about apathy? Do non Christians yeah. even talk about struggling with sin? Right. Yeah. I, mean, I never did. I mean, that was yeah. not even on the radar. I mean, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that you're struggling and bi- and battling and fighting and and even even the fact that that particular sin is making you wonder if you're saved. Ironically, could be evidence that you are mm-hmm. that you're even asking the question. Mm-hmm. So, I want to throw out one other way to just kind of have assurance. I don't know. We've really have talked about. Maybe we've talked around it very practically. I think people that lack assurance are people who haven't been discipled. 
And so I think a cure for the true believer who lacks assurance is for that believer to enter into a discipleship relationship. Maybe it's one-on-one, maybe it's two or three guys or ladies getting together where people begin to pray for you, speak into your life, and slowly over time, your sanctification begins to mm-hmm. get some momentum, and inevitably, if you're truly saved, assurance would follow. I mean, how many, how many people were truly saved as children, you know, and we hear this all the time, and maybe you guys experience it, truly saved as, as 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids, but then they're like, but I wasn't in a good church, or my parents weren't Christians, or I really wasn't discipled wasn't taught, whatever. And and so there's this kind of drifting along for a while. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like inevitably the thing that that changed it was, yeah, I started getting together with this group or that group. Yeah. That, that is exactly the testimony of my own life. That's my story too. Yeah. yeah. So so wow. So if you're out there, you're in our church, you know, and you're in this category, come and find someone and say, Will you disciple me? Yeah. Approach a mature Christian, mm-hmm. someone you've seen or heard, been around in some class or Bible study, and ask them, will you start meeting with me? Can we read the Bible together? Can we pray together? Can I have someone that would speak into my life and I could trust and so mm. forth? That's yeah. what. That's it, man. That's when mm. the change comes. You know, one of the things that I've just been thinking about as we've been talking is um, I think what helped me so much with assurance was a a biblical view of the new birth, uh, a biblical view of conversion, that it conversion is not the result of anything that I did. Um, it's, it's the result of, of the work of Christ as the work of the spirit to, like you said earlier, to remove my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Um, conversion results in repentance and faith. It's not the other way around. You know, it's not our repentance and faith that bring about the new birth. It's it's the new birth that brings about repentance and faith. Because if if it's the other way around, there's always this nagging thought: What if I didn't do it right? What if I didn't repent right? What if I wasn't sincere <laughs> enough? You know. And so, how you know the question you get? Or what I mean, if I renege on what I did before? Yeah. 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 You know, your question is, what if, um, how, how do I know I've repented unto salvation? Well, you repented, for one, and you keep on, um, you keep on repenting. I think that's a Paul Washer quote. How do you know you've repented unto salvation? Well, you're still repenting. <laughs> it, it wasn't just a, a once and, hey, I'm good. Even, even the weakest faith that clings to the infinite power of Christ to save is yeah. still a saving yeah, faith. That's right. Yep. Mustard seed. Yeah. Yep. What is, I, I heard a, a similar quote that said, a, a strong faith in a weak object is worthless, hmm. but even the weakest faith in a strong object is, is salvific. It's yeah. saving faith. Yes. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, uh, and get in the Word and get with some people that will help you to um, to stay the course and grow and persevere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think there's that. I think, I think often in our culture that you've got, you've got a private, individual, privatized Christianity, <clears throat> and then you've got church. 
right? You got big group, big congregate, big big assembly stuff, and and what's missing is the stuff in between, the groups of one on one and mm-hmm. one on three and four and home group and a that's that's what's missing, and it, because these two things by themselves are not the whole biblical picture. We don't live a privatized, individualized Christian life. It's not just me and Jesus, mm-hmm. and it's not just me and big church. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just coming on Sunday morning, sitting in pew, doing all that. As important as all that is, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be in between that. And I think people that lack assurance probably are lacking the stuff in between a yes. lot of the time. Yes, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. very true. And and so that's where you need to, you know, if you're in that situation, that's what you need to focus on. Yeah. Without neglecting the others. <laughs> right. <laughs> Vast topic. Indeed. Um, yeah, thanks for listening today. I want to close our time by uh, reading the prayer on assurance from the Valley of Vision. Ken Johnson will love this. This is his favorite book ever. And uh, but uh, is this the same this one you read today? Yeah, when we started. Yeah. So just forewarners, forewarn the listeners. The person who wrote this was having a really good day. <laughs> really good day. Really assured that day. <laughs> they, were, they were feeling their salvation they were, they were this feeling. day. So I'll close with this: Almighty God, I am loved with everlasting love, clothed in eternal righteousness my peace flowing like a river, my comforts many and large, my joy and triumph unutterable, my soul lively with the knowledge of salvation, my sense of justification unclouded. I have scarce anything to pray for. Jesus smiles upon my soul as a ray of heaven, and my supplications are swallowed up in praise. How sweet is the glorious doctrine of election when based upon thy word and wrought inwardly within the soul. I bless thee that thou will keep the sinner thou hast loved and has engaged that he will not forsake thee, else I would never get to heaven. I wrong the work of grace in my heart if I deny my new nature and my eternal life. If Jesus were not my righteousness and redemption, I would sink into nethermost hell by my misdoings, shortcomings, unbelief, unlove. If Jesus were not by the power of his spirit, my sanctification, there is no sin I should not commit. Oh, when shall I have his mind? When shall I be conformed to his image? All the good things of life are less than nothing when compared with his love. And with one glimpse of thy electing favor. All the treasures of a million worlds could not make me richer, happier, more contented, for his unsearchable riches are mine. One moment of communion with him, one view of his grace is ineffable, inestimable. But, O God, I could not long after thy presence if I did not know the sweetness of it. And such I could not know except by thy spirit in my heart, nor love thee at all, unless thou didst elect me, call me, adopt me, save me. I bless thee for the covenant of grace. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Kerrville Bible Church Podcast. In future episodes, we would like to answer your biblical, theological, or pastoral questions. Send them to us via email at questions at curvillebiblechurch.org 
or leave us a text or voicemail at 830-321-0349.